This is WPRB in Princeton, New Jersey. Community-supported, independent radio. And now at 5 p.m., it's WPRB News & Culture. I'm your host, Adam Sanders. Every holiday has its fans, but some people are Halloween people. And as Halloween sits around the corner, who can blame them? It's an inarguably fun holiday. Not only is there an abundance of sugar, but there are decorations, there's fear, there's the chill of the new fall air, and the excitement of slipping into a costume, a new identity. Halloween can be silly, it can be sexy, it can be terrifying, it can be exhilarating. Some people are Halloween people, well, why aren't we all? Yet, there are those who take Halloween up for times longer than the socially acceptable month of October. People who work Halloween half the year, who study the creatures of myth and nightmare as their lifelong career, and who find themselves inextricably linked to the spirit of the occult. And when we toast to the Halloween people among us who bring joy and excitement to the holiday, we cannot forget the Halloweeniest of them all, those who make Halloween their whole life. So today on WPRB News & Culture, we celebrate not just Halloween, but Halloween people. Three stories about humans who have made the fearful a part of their day-to-day -day life and we try to learn something from their endeavors. First up, Izzy Jacobson and I visit the Spirit Halloween in Lawrence Township, New Jersey, to understand the culture that grows here, one of Halloween fanatics rubbing elbows with those who just need a costume by Tuesday. Next, in a story from our archives, Charlie Nurnberger and Henry Moses speak to an expert on the mythical Jersey Devil said to haunt the Pine Barrens in South Jersey. And in one last story from the archives, Nobody Rachemalu and Natalia Maydeek tell a classic gothic story, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Stick around, we'll be right back. WPRB wants you to know that if you live, work, go to school, or pay taxes in the city of Philadelphia, you should sign up for a free Library of Philadelphia library card. You can gain online access to ebooks, audiobooks, movies, music, digital learning resources, online programming, and much more. To apply for a card or learn more, visit freelibrary.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. You're listening to WPRB News & Culture. First up, Izzy Jacobson and I visit the Spirit Halloween in Lawrence Township, New Jersey, to understand the culture that grows here, one of Halloween fanatics rubbing elbows with those who just need a costume by Tuesday. It's the week before Halloween at the Quaker Bridge Mall in Lawrence Township, New Jersey. The parking lot is full, but people aren't going to the main entrance. They're headed for the pop-up shop at one end of the parking lot with posters of little girls dressed like killer clowns, boys dressed up as inflatable expletives, and vivacious young women wearing nurse costumes. We're talking about Spirit Halloween, the seasonal costume shop that opens 1,400 locations around the U.S. every July. Every day here is October 31st. As you enter the store, the Halloweenish energy overcomes your senses. There's a distinct smell of plastic props and artificial fog, and children are running everywhere. Today, we're here on a mission to understand the world inside this shop, the spirit behind Spirit Halloween. The animatronic decorations for sale stretch out skeletal hands with conspicuous price tags. 
The ghosts and ghouls cackle and scream like banshees, set off by footprint marked triggers. It's undead, unreal. A world that only exists until November 3rd. Wonder how long it takes me to take down this door? How long? Three days. Three days. That's Debbie, one of the higher ups at this Spirit Halloween. She's got long pink dyed hair, thick glasses, and wears a t-shirt that in the top left corner says Spirit Halloween 2021. She's a veteran. My husband spends way too much money on Spirit Halloween. And really? the only reason I put it in the application was for the 30% discount, to be honest. Now, Debbie runs multiple Spirit Halloweens across central New Jersey. She deals with costume shipments from Spencer's Corporate, who owns the chain, as well as setting up elaborate decorations and hiring teams of Halloween fanatics. For Debbie, it's a great gig. Put it this way, I ain't never been able to find somebody that'll pay me what I make a year with my salary here and my unemployment. As we explored the store, one key theme continuously emerged. People love celebrating Halloween in whatever form that may take. Manning a spirit Halloween, trick-or-treating, or heading to a party. One group from the College of New Jersey was prepping for a themed a cappella concert. Each of the four boys, members of the TCNJ iTunes, were holding Scooby-Doo-themed items. It was an outrageous contrast from their everyday garb and gave the impression that immediately after belting a track, they were headed to solve some crimes. Um, right now, I have a wig for Fred from Scooby-Doo. I got this for the concert. It's the Scooby-Doo, the mystery machine. For the acapella concert, I'm gonna be Scooby-Doo. I'm gonna be Miles Morales. The boys were also seeking pieces for their separate costumes more individualized than something you would find in a plastic package. For my actual concert, I'm gonna be Jesus. Oh! <laughs> what, what inspired Jesus? I don't know, you know, I'm religious like that. <laughs> God always first. <laughs> Melina from Hopewell was last minute shopping with her teenage daughter, Julia. Julia was looking for an orange inmate jumpsuit. She didn't want to talk much about her costume. She's getting red right in the face. Melina was happy to shop with her daughter, but she'd already made her own costume. I'm gonna be Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo, and that's more of a DIY costume. Yeah. Julia's in high school now, but Melina recalled fond memories of going with her children to the haunted houses put on by the Hopewell Fire Department in years past. I, I don't know if they still do it. I really wanted to find out. I asked that question to my kids because it's been different since COVID, but we used to have a ton, ton of people come because um, Hopewell Fire Department did a fantastic haunted house every year. There's something to be said about the communal nature of Halloween shopping. The store is basically one big haunted house with the caveat that they're trying to sell you a polyester minions costume and some plastic skulls along the way. Anthony, a cashier, told us this experiential aspect of the store was a big part of his attraction to working there. I feel like when people come in here, it's like they're going to a great adventure, like a amusement park or even like a haunted house. People come in, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're laughing, they're scared, they're having a good time, they're watching their friends get scared, their children get scared. Uh, I think the most part, we just want it to be an experience. Of course, we had to ask about what costumes had been popular this year. Debbie explained that Barbie was flying off the shelves, but Anthony, at the checkout counter, had some other thoughts. Uh, Fortnite's been really popular with the kids. And you know, the humor ones are always popular with the teenagers, like the breathalyzer, that, you know, those types of things. Spirit Halloween is a silly place. Nothing you buy here is gonna last. It's plastic, it's chintzy, it sits in the back of your closet until the next Halloween, or until you toss it out in the garbage. What are you buying there? Not even the stores last. 
They're open for only a few months at a time before returning to their hibernation. Full shelves of plastic replaced with an empty warehouse, tucked into some mall that in a few years might itself be thrown away in favor of a hospital or a nursing home or a housing development. You can make the argument that with all of the fun of the decorations or the giddiness of picking out a costume, Spirit Halloween is in the end a store in a mall that sells you plastic. But what surprised us about spending an afternoon at the Spirit Halloween in Lawrence Township was how deeply anti-materialist it felt to speak to the employees, who come back to the store season after season to sell costumes and candy and decorations. On Halloween, they said, you celebrate expression, choosing your own identity, reveling in the shocking or the transgressive or the fun. You make a statement about who you are. It's the only holiday that you don't have to give anybody anything. <laughs> it's all about you if you want it to be. You know what I mean? No matter what. Yeah, I mean, you can't complain. You're basically working a haunted house every day. You get to see. You get the kind of experience it through people every day and the attractions and our little uh, mazes and things like that. So it's always fun, you know. I mean, it's still a job, but it's fun and it's. I can't complain. It's probably one of the better jobs I've ever had. For WPRB, this has been Izzy Jacobson and Adam Sanders. Have a wonderful evening, and once again, thank you for choosing Spirit Halloween for all of your Halloween needs. WPRB wants you to know that if you're a renter in Philadelphia, you should know your rights. PhillyTenant.org has everything you need to know about your rights and obligations as a tenant in Philadelphia. You can find information about security deposits, leases, evictions, repair, lead testing, housing assistance, and much more. That's PhillyTenant.org. A live help for low-income Philadelphia renters is also available by phone 9 a.m. through 7 p.m. Monday through Friday at 267-443-2500. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV Princeton Community Supported Independent Radio. You're listening to WPRB News and Culture. Next, in a story from our archives, Charlie Nurnberger and Henry Moses speak to an expert on the mythical Jersey Devil said to haunt the Pine Barrens in South Jersey. Uh, listen carefully as you walk through the Pine Barrens of South Jersey. It almost seems like the wind is trying to tell us something. <whistles> old mother leads, old mother leads. That was Dr. Angus K. Gillespie, a professor of American studies at Rutgers University. A folklorist, he studies the myths and tales of the United States. Working in New Jersey, he is the preeminent scholar on the Jersey Devil, as well as the World Trade Center prior to 9-11-2001. We reached out to him in early October, and he kindly agreed to talk with us over the phone. Over the course of our conversation, he introduced the phenomenon of the Jersey Devil, its history, and its current situation. Folks in these parts said that it was a strange family. It was an unusual family. Um, well, we now know that it certainly was a large family. Uh, uh, Daniel and Jane Leeds had uh, 12 children. And there was kind of a problem. Um, now, Daniel Leeds, um, he was a good hunter, and he was a very good gardener, 
and not a bad fisherman. And there was always food on the table. That wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem seemed that uh, Daniel Leeds uh, wasn't taking too much interest in the children. And the entire burden of the household fell on Jane Leeds. And uh, she was mighty tired of uh, picking things up and putting things away. And uh, the cooking and the cleaning, uh, it was just exhausting. And, and then one night when she learned that she was pregnant with her 13th child, in a moment of perhaps understandable weakness, she said, Lord, let this one not be a child. Let this one be a devil. Well, we now know that that was a mistake. Locals describe the devil as an amalgamation of different animals. The winged creature has hooved feet, a serpentine tail, and features of a monkey, kangaroo, or horse. In our communications before the interview, we had referred to the creature as the New Jersey Devil, which Gillespie readily reprimanded. What happened uh, as time went by, uh, for better or for worse, when the uh, professional hockey team came to New Jersey uh, years later, uh, they conducted a, a kind of a poll to decide what to call um, their team and what the mascot should be. And uh, they came up with the uh, mascot of or the term, uh, the New Jersey Devils. And what happened ever since then was the name recognition skyrocketed. Even even the people in the northernmost part of New Jersey now had heard of it because they heard of the hockey team. Um, for me as a folklorist, um, there were quite a few problems with this. Um, uh, I hardly know where to begin. Um, for one thing, they called themselves the New Jersey Devils. Well, as I already pointed out to you guys, uh, that's wrong. It, right. it's, 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 it's the Jersey Devil, plus it's the Jersey Devil singular. There's no such thing as multiple Jersey Devils. So uh, the, the whole story kind of got twisted around. Uh, the Jersey Devil's history is entwined with the history of New Jersey and its surrounding areas. During our research for this story, we were brought down many rabbit holes that emphasized the impact of the devil. My favorite involves Joseph Bonaparte, the older brother of the famous Napoleon. Joseph lived as an exile in America after he was forced to abdicate the throne of Spain. He lived on an 800-acre estate in Bordentown on the border of Pennsylvania and New Jersey, just 20 miles from Princeton. A hunting man, Joseph enjoyed expeditions into the Pine Barrens. On one such trip, he encountered what he thought to be the tracks of a donkey with two feet. Abruptly, the trail of the track stopped. The creature had flown away. The hissing that he then heard understandably frightened him, despite the gun in his hand. Following the sound, he found himself face to face with the devil. Joseph made it out of this encounter alive, but not without fright. Perhaps not enough ink has been spilled over the Jersey Devil. There exists only one definitive study of the devil alone, However, Princeton's own John McPhee dedicated a small section in his book on the Pine Barrens to the creature. 
In his eloquent prose, he writes, At the age of four, it killed its mother and its father and began its terrible wanderings, cutting the throats of hogs, horses, cattle, sheep, children, women, and men, and leaving cloven tracks. People used to hang up lanterns to scare the Jersey Devil away. Most people in the Pine Barrens now look upon the Jersey Devil as pure legend, but there are many who do not. Unexplained and sinister events will still cause its name to be spoken in serious voices. In his own fieldwork, Dr. Gillespie tried to adhere himself to the locals of South Jersey. So what I had to do was uh, spend uh, many weeks uh, kind of establishing rapport, uh, talking about neutral topics um, like like the weather, uh, the hunting, the fishing. Eventually, I might come around to talking about the old songs and stories that South Jersey was so well known for. But only eventually, if I sensed that they trusted me, could I bring up the topic of the Jersey Devil. After all this research, we still had the question, does the Jersey Devil exist? Uh, well, I'm often asked that question, and, uh, and that's a good question. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, it's the nature of a legend that it's a belief tale. So do you believe it? And I think all of us, and this goes back to philosophy 101, uh, the way our brains are wired, when we hear a story, we kind of approach it from a binary point of view. Uh, we believe it, we don't believe it. Um, mm. That's kind of the way our brains are wired. Um, um, you can either be believing or you can be skeptical. Um, but for myself as a folklorist, what I struggle to do is to keep an open mind, um, neither reject it nor accept it, but just keep gathering the facts. It's very difficult because that's not the way our brains are wired. But uh, in discussing this with my students at Rutgers, I always point out, um, um, do we have proof that the Jersey Devil exists? No, we do not have proof. But let me turn it upside down. How do we prove that the Jersey Devil does not exist? You're right, yeah. It's a lot more it's, difficult to do. Yeah, that's, that's philosophy 101. Um, the influence of the legend continues to be felt online. Self-identifying cryptozoologists seek out irrefutable evidence of the creature and post their findings on YouTube. Others aren't so sure. One commenter said, quote, I do not attempt to capture images of him because I respect our bond more than clout for seeing him. He's not bad. He's misunderstood. This Halloween season, we know we'll be listening carefully to the wind song through the trees. And when you hear the sudden crack of a twig behind you, Beware, beware of the Jersey Devil. WPRB wants you to know about Mural Arts Philadelphia. Mural Arts Philadelphia, the nation's largest public art program, exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive public discourse, and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. 
Take a tour and hear some of the stories behind more than 4,000 murals that grace our city. Learn more by following at Mural Arts on Twitter and Instagram and by visiting muralarts.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. You're listening to WPRB News and Culture. Then one last story from the archives. Nevany Rachemalu and Natalia Maydeek tell a classic gothic story, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. It's true. Yes, I have been ill, very ill. But why do you say that I have lost control of my mind? Why do you say that I'm mad? Can you not see that I have full control of my mind? Is it not clear that I am not mad? Indeed, the illness has only made my mind, my feelings, my senses stronger, more powerful. I could hear sounds I had never heard before. I heard sounds from heaven, and I heard sounds from hell. Listen. Listen, and I will tell you what happened. You will see, you will hear how healthy my mind is. It is impossible to say how the idea first entered my head. There was no reason for what I did. I did not hate the old man. I even loved him. He had never hurt me. I did not want his money. I think it was his eye. His eye was like the eye of a vulture, the eye of one of those terrible birds that watch and wait while an animal dies, and then fall upon the dead body and pull it to pieces to eat it. When the old man looked at me with his vulture eye, a cold feeling went up and down my back. Even my blood became cold. And so, I finally decided I had to kill the old man and close that eye forever. So you think that I am mad? A madman cannot plan. But you should have seen me. During all of that week, I was as friendly to the old man as I could be, and warm and loving. Every night about 12 o'clock, I slowly opened his door, and when the door was opened wide enough, I put my hand in, and then my head. In my hand, I held a light covered over with the cloth so that no light showed, and I stood there quietly. Then, carefully, I lifted the cloth, just a little, so that a single, thin, small light fell across that eye. For seven nights, I did this seven long nights, every night at midnight. Always the eye was closed, so it was impossible for me to do the work, for it was not the old man I felt I had to kill. It was the eye, his evil eye. And every morning, I went to his room, and with a warm, friendly voice, I asked him how he had slept. He could not guess that every night, just at twelve, I looked in at him as he slept. The eighth night, I was more than usually careful as I opened the door. The hands of a clock moved more quickly than did my hand. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. The old man was lying there, not dreaming that I was at his door. Suddenly, he moved in his bed. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in his room was thick and black. I knew he could not see the opening of the door. I continued to push the door, slowly, softly. I put in my head, I put in my hand, 
with the covered light. Suddenly, the old man sat straight up in bed and cried, Who's there? I stood quite still. For a whole hour, I did not move, nor did I hear him again lay down in his bed. He just sat there, listening. Then I heard a sound, a low cry of fear, which escaped from the old man. Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed, filled with fear. I knew that he knew that I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing there. Slowly, little by little, I lifted the cloth until a small, small light escaped from under it to fall upon. To fall upon that vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and my anger increased as it looked straight at me. I could not see the old man's face. Only that eye, that hard blue eye, and the blood in my body became like ice. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. It was the beating of the old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, but the sound grew louder. The old man's fear must have been great indeed. And as the sound grew louder, my anger became greater and more painful. But it was more than just anger. In the quiet night, in the dark silence of the bedroom, my anger became fear. For the heart was beating so loudly that I was sure someone must hear. The time had come. I rushed into the room, crying, Die! Die! The old man gave a loud cry of fear as I fell upon him and held the bed covers tightly over his head. Still his heart was beating, but I smiled as I felt that success was near. For many minutes the heart continued to beat, but at last the beating stopped. The old man was dead. I took away the bed covers and held my ear over his heart. There was no sound. Yes, he was dead, dead as a stone. His eye would trouble me no more. So I am mad, you say. You should have seen how careful I was to put the body where no one could find it. First, I cut off the head, then the arms and the legs. I was careful not to let a single drop of blood fall on the floor. I pulled up three of the boards that formed the floor and put the pieces of the body there. Then I put the boards down again, carefully, so carefully, that no human eye could see that they had been moved. As I finished this work, I heard that someone was at the door. It was now four o'clock in the morning, but still dark. I had no fear, however, as I went down to open the door. Three men were at the door, three officers of the police. One of the neighbors had heard the old man's cry and had called the police. These three had come to ask questions and to search the house. I asked the policeman to come in. The cry, I said, was my own, in a dream. The old man, I said, was away. He had gone to visit a friend in the country. I took them through the whole house, telling them to search it all, to search well. I led them finally into the old man's bedroom. As if playing a game with them, I asked them to sit down and talk for a while. My easy, quiet manner made the policeman believe my story. So they sat talking with me in a friendly way, but although I answered them in the same way, I soon wished that they would go. My head hurt and there was a strange sound in my ears. I talked more and faster. The sound became clearer, and still they sat and talked. 
Suddenly I knew that the sound was not in my ears. It was not just inside my head. At that moment, I must have become quite white. I talked still faster and louder, and the sound too became louder. It was a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. A sound I knew well. Louder it became, and louder. Why did the men not go? Louder, louder. I stood up and walked quickly around the room. I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise, to cover that terrible sound. I talked even louder, and still the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible that they could not hear? No, they heard. I was certain of it. They knew. Now it was they who were playing a game with me. I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound. Louder, louder, louder! Suddenly, I could bear it no longer. I pointed at the boards and cried, Yes! Yes, I killed him! Pull up the boards and you shall see. I killed him. But why does his heart not stop beating? Why does it not stop? From WPRB News and Culture, this has been Navani Rachamalu and Natalia Medik. WPRB wants you to know about Table to Table. They are a community-based food rescue program in northern New Jersey that collects fresh and perishable food that would otherwise be wasted and delivers it to organizations that serve the hungry in Bergen, Essex, Hudson, and Passaic counties. They rescue this healthy food from about 150 donors, supermarkets, food distributors, restaurants, and commercial kitchens, and deliver it the same day, free of charge to over 250 community organizations, including food pantries, shelters, daycare and after-school programs, senior adult centers, and programs serving the working poor. And they need your help. To find out how you can support their amazing work or get involved, please visit tabletotable.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. And that's our show. News and Culture is produced at the WPRB studios in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm your host and the show's producer, Adam Sanders. This week's stories were reported, recorded, and produced by Izzy Jacobson, Charlie Nurnberger, Henry Moses, Navani Rachamalu, Natalia Maydeek, and yours truly, Adam Sanders. Our editors are Clara McWeeny, Izzy Jacobson, Natalia Maydeek, and Navani Rachamalu. The new theme music for our show is Take Me Higher by Jazar. All music used is under Creative Commons license. For more details, visit our website at news.wprb.com. Can't get enough of WPRB News and Culture? Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or at our website at news.wprb.com. That's news.wprb.com. WPRB News and Culture is produced in Princeton, New Jersey by WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. Take care and enjoy your evening.